take your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter number 3. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. Please be in prayer for Preacher as he's not been feeling well here the last couple days. Uh, I think he came down with somewhat of a stomach bug. Uh, so hopefully with some prayers and some rest he can get to feeling a little bit better. Be back in the pulpit next week. Uh, this Wednesday night probably would be a better time. Uh, that would be good too. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter number 3. I just want to read one verse to you. And, you know, I was driving by a church the other day, and I've, I've seen this on several churches' billboards. Uh, as they advertise the times of their service, you'll see at some churches a time that will be posted for a traditional service and then a contemporary service. And I'm, I'm actually quite hesitant to preach this message tonight, not because I'm scared of the subject matter, uh, or even to offend people, I guess I just don't want to mislead anybody about what my personal belief on this matter is. Uh, I, 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 that's why I'm hindering a little bit in, in being able to boldly speak tonight. But when you look at the slides and you hear my title, you'll probably think, well, he's just going to uh, preach on contemporary music. He's going to preach on contemporary worship and and that is not at all this sermon, and I, I want to make that clear up front. However, I do believe that our churches that are doing this contemporary and traditional, uh, and I do believe that churches that are solely traditional or solely contemporary, and they have labeled themselves as such, have probably erred a little bit. Uh, you know, I ask myself, which one is appropriate? Which one is the right one to be? Because I want to be right. I don't like being wrong. Even in arguments with my wife, I don't much enjoy being wrong. We uh, promised each other we could no longer Google answers because that was destroying our relationship. So uh, now we just settle many arguments like, nope, don't Google it. We'll just, I, we'll just bygones be bygones. You believe the way you do, and you believe. And so we don't even look them up anymore. But I, I enjoy being right, and especially when it comes to the church. I believe God gave us exactly what he meant to give us when he gave us the Bible. I don't think there was any confusion that he uh, left out something or didn't add anything to it. I think God gave us exactly what he wanted us to know. And from what God has given us, we can draw uh, inspiration and influence and really our own philosophy on matters such as what church should look like. And the reason that I wanted to bring this to your attention is, if you think that our church resembles the church in Acts chapter 2, I think you'd be pretty mistaken on the matter, right? Uh, unless they wore neckties in Acts chapter 2, uh, unless they had pianos in Acts chapter 2. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but pianos actually used to be considered a saloon instrument. And for many years, nobody would allow a, a piano to be in a church. Now, and I'm not up here today to proclaim, once again, I don't want to, I feel like y'all are already starting to think it's about music, but it's simply not. It's about a philosophy of our ministry. And I don't want anybody to ever be confused whether or not we're traditional or transitional. See, that's what the uh, transitional ministry, as I'll label them tonight, they're always looking for something new as if what was already present was not good enough. But the, the traditionalist hangs on to what was old because they're afraid of anything new. Let me say that again. Because tradition is one of the main things that will send a lot of Catholics to hell. 
It was Pharisees that inspired and taught tradition. With, they added things to God's law that simply were not there. So I don't want you to be confused tonight. We are not just a traditional church because that is what our parents believed. And that is not what our parents did. And I don't want you to think that we're a transitional church in the fact that we're just going to try everything new that produces itself. Uh, We've sung songs within the last few weeks that were uh, written within the last two, uh, in the last ten years. If that's not a contemporary song, I don't know what it is, if, if it's a modern song. Let me ask you, would it have been okay to sing Fanny Crosby music the day after she wrote it? Well, then it would have been contemporary, right? It would have been modern music. Look, I just want to be very clear tonight. The Bible gives us plenty on philosophical practices of the church, and I want to teach some of them to you tonight. 2 Timothy chapter number 3, verse number 14. Uh, this is Paul teaching his preacher boy, his little uh, his pupil, if you will. Paul is his mentor, giving him instruction on how he is to be an effective minister of God in his ministry. I was pleased to hear yesterday that Ethan Archer preached at Masters Club. Boy, that did my heart good. I remember preaching in competitions like that and never did very well in them, but I was glad to be a part of it. And I tell you what, I never got more nervous when it comes to preaching than when somebody was sitting at a table with pencil in their hand judging me. So I was proud of Ethan to hear that. But that was uh, the relationship that Paul and Timothy shared. Now, verse number 14 of chapter number 3. Notice this. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Now I'm going to read it again. I want you to repeat or say with me the second word of the passage, but continue. Say that again. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, of me, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Now, I want to be very clear tonight. The Bible does not say, but improve upon the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. The Bible does not say, uh, uh, but change the things which thou hast learned and been assured of. It says, continue to practice ministry the way I have practiced ministry. And I feel like, Transitional churches are trying to change it so much that things that worked in the past they're simply doing away with because they're afraid to do them anymore. For instance, confrontational soul winning. You know, it's not very easy to walk up to someone and say, are you 100% sure that if you died at this moment, that's kind of an awkward question to begin with, if you were to say, I don't know, just kick the bucket right now, uh... If you were to die right now, are you sure you'd go to heaven when you die? That's not an easy question to ask. But a lot of transitional churches have done away with that question. They've done away with it thinking, oh, we'll we'll, uh, resort to lifestyle evangelism. We'll we'll let our good works speak for us. And we'll let that be our testimony and and our soul winning. So they do away with things like where the uh, disciples and the apostles went door door to door uh, in Jerusalem there. They do away with things like that. But traditionalist churches, now be very careful, traditional churches uh, preach on soul winning, but they just don't go. And as long as it's being proclaimed from the pulpit, well, we ought to believe it, amen? Let me say this, you don't believe it if you're not doing it. 
I believe Jesus Christ died for my sins and I place my faith in Him to get me to heaven when I die. I did that. And now I believe as a direct result, He has given me a commission and a command to go tell people about His Son. And to say, look what He did. I'm a witness. As if I was on the jury stand of life, standing in front of people saying, look what God has done in my life. Uh, He can change you like He's changed me. But you don't believe it if you're not doing it. And so traditional churches are no more right than transitional churches because neither one of them are doing it. I just want you to understand tonight that the Bible does lay out a plan for ministry in the 21st century. And I want to share some of those with you tonight. Verse number 14, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, We must continue in practice in in this church, in Joshua Baptist Church. Continue to practice the things which honor the Lord. This passage is actually uh, verse number 15. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. In verse number 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, We must continue to practice proper doctrine. The transitional churches are sacrificing doctrine for convenience. Uh, in order to plaster seeker-sensitive on their uh, a sign, they've totally forgotten about Savior sensitivity. And they are mistaking what is comfort and complacency uh, 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 for some type of new age religion that simply doesn't exist. Unfortunately, uh, uh, traditional churches may have uh, proper doctrine, but they're throwing their own tradition involved with it. They're saying, well, if if you're not wearing a skirt, you're not going to go to heaven. And if uh, you don't sing with a high soprano voice and a four-part harmony when you sing, then, then obviously it's not honoring music. I just think we ought to be very careful in our doctrine. Where do you go to find doctrine? Well, the Bible is the final authority for anything that this church believes. It is our final authority in doctrine. That's what the Bible says in verse 16. It is our final authority. Acts chapter 2, after the uh, day of uh, uh, Pentecost there, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. Truth is, I was told a long time ago, practice makes perfect. But did you know that's an outright lie? Practice does not make perfect. Practice makes permanent. Perfect practice makes perfect performance. You see, if you practice poor habits, you will always have poor habits. If you practice proper habits, you will then develop a discipline of appropriate uh, 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 habits. You understand. So at this church, we could practice false doctrine. And we could also get very good at practicing false doctrine. But we must make sure that we have the right doctrine. And it is solely reliant upon God's word, not what governmental authority may teach us, not what uh, societal or cultural uh, uh, convenience may teach us. God's word is the final authority for doctrine. We would not know what doctrine was if we did not have God's word. So we don't need to have a council vote on what we believe. 
We don't need a board of people who are wise and businessmen to tell us how we are to proceed uh, into the modern millennia as the government gives us uh, more difficult restrictions. No, we ought to consult God's word to find our doctrine. Mark chapter 12, Jesus condemns people for coming to him and questioning him, and they're posing the situation. Say a woman is married to one man. He has, there's seven brethren, and she's married to one of them, and he dies, and then she marries the other one, and he dies, and then she marries the other one, and he dies, and seven times later, they started calling her the Black Widow. Okay, I'm sorry. And, uh, uh, and they, they say, who will she be married to in the resurrection? And I don't really understand the purpose of the question, other than they were quite inquisitive. But Jesus goes on and he says, do ye th- not therefore err, because ye know not the scriptures, neither the power of God? In our church, we must be disciplined to study God's word and know God's word. And we do not baptize the way we baptize because Baptists have done it before us. We do not uh, practice doctrine. We do not uh, take the Lord's Supper the way we serve the Lord's Supper because it's been passed down through a lineage. You understand? We do it because God's commands us to do it. We do it because it's right in God's eyes, and that's the final authority. We must continue a practice of proper doctrine and proper fellowship. Acts chapter 2 says one of the things that the early church did was they uh, uh, practiced the apostles' doctrine, but they continued in fellowship. Now, if there is ever one verse or one passage of Scripture that raised an alarm to whether or not the first church was a Baptist one, it was probably the fact that the first church had all things in common. Because have you ever been a part of a Baptist church that had everything in common? Uh, I've never been a part of one. I've never seen it. And so you you look at them, and they're all selling land to help other people, and there's nobody rich, there's nobody poor. They're all hand-in-hand serving God. The Bible even tells us that they would meet daily in houses uh, all over town. They would meet to to pray and sing and, and, and worship the Lord. That was the early church. Now we have trouble getting people out for a revival meeting once a year. We, we struggle to get anybody to invest in just maybe one Saturday if we do something special. One Sunday after church, we have a bus bowl, and it's difficult to get people down there. Look, fellowship is one of the main reasons that the local church exists. It's here so that we can hand-in-hand hand serve God. The Bible says that, Woe unto the man that doesn't have anybody there when he falls, because there will be no one there to lift him up when he falls. And that's the same passage that said, a a three-fold cord is not easily broken. You see, God God loves when his church rallies together in fellowship. If your mother or your husband or your wife winds up in the hospital, one of the first calls you ought to make is to this church. Not so that preacher or that me can come see them, but so that we can spread the word to begin prayer for that person. So that we can then rally around you and say, well, is there anything that you're not able to take care of while you're dealing with this situation? Even mowing the yard is such a simple task, but sometimes it's exactly what you need to get you through a hard time. 
And that is one of the primary functions of the church, to have a proper fellowship. We must continue to practice that. Secondly, we must continue in a proper philosophy of ministry. We must continue in a proper philosophy of ministry. The Bible tells us in James chapter 1, verse 27, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Pure religion is to relieve people's burdens from off of their shoulders, to take people who may be hurting or struggling in some form or fashion and to help them along their way. That's true ministry. In fact, if you study the ministry of Jesus Christ, was that not many times what he would do? He would go into a town and begin to heal people and help them, but never neglected the fact that they needed to be spiritually whole before they were physically whole. You see, what happens is traditional churches, uh, they are only concerned about uh, their salvation, and they say, man, if we can get them saved, we don't even worry about getting them baptized. Let's just, uh, let's just get them saved and we'll just abandon them as long as we get a mark in our soul winner's New Testament. And a transitional church says, well, we'll give them food and we'll give them water and we'll give them a warm place to sleep and a nice hot shower. And then we'll send them on their way because they're happy now. What we have to understand is we cannot just blanket ourselves and box ourselves into a corner so that we cannot serve our community in our area. The Bible tells us in James chapter uh, 2 about a man coming into the church, and if you have the food and the clothing to give him, and you say, be ye warmed and filled, and you just let him walk away, but you don't give him the things that he needs, you're a fool because you have the things, but how is he going to be warm? How is he going to be full? I believe this. The church ought to be concerned about the physical, uh, uh, the physical uh, uh, people's physical uh, uh, needs around the church. I believe there's people suffering in our community. Our church ought to have a hand in that. I think uh, we ought to relieve burdens. I think we ought to help people through difficult times. I, I also believe we cannot get so focused on a physical aspect of ministry that we totally neglect a spiritual concern. Jesus did not heal people with no expectation of confronting them with the gospel. Nor did he confront people with the gospel and let them leave with uh, terrible uh, diseases and hurts. I think we can learn a lot from Jesus' ministry that he was concerned not only about their salvation, but he was concerned about the person. Don't ever overlook people. Don't ever be so blinded that you can't see someone who's hurting. And that we, what we do is we stick people in boxes and categories and we say, oh, well, they just need a job. They need to go find a job. You don't know that person. You don't know their history. You don't know what their daddy did to them. You don't know anything about that person, yet we compartmentalize them as if they're already gone. What we as a church need to do is relieve the afflicted. And I believe that that's one thing that the local New Testament church in Acts chapter 2 was doing. That's a philosophy of ministry. Secondly, we need to have a philosophy of maturation. The church ought not be a nursery. Now, it's good when our nursery is completely full. I like seeing that, although the nursery workers don't. But... 
Spiritually speaking, our church ought not be filled with infant Christians. People that don't even have a desire for the sincere milk of the word. They just struggle to take anything bigger than that or more than that. Have you ever seen a, a toddler be excited to get their measurement on the wall? They'll come up to a door frame and they'll say, measure me, measure me. And, and right here you'll have a little line and it'll say so-and-so at one, one year old. And then you'll see the next year that kid grew and, and you'll see that next mark on the wall. And then eventually when that person's a, 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 of, a, of an age, like a teenager, you see the developmental marks of their life. That ought to be what a church looks like. Your life ought to be marked with spiritual development. It ought to be marked with victories and mountaintop experiences. It ought to be marked with valleys that hurt, but you got through by God's grace. That's what the Christian life looks like. But if you're never progressing, I say this sometimes, the Christian life is an uphill battle. So if you're in neutral, you're rolling backwards. You ought to be moving forward Getting to know Jesus just a little bit more. Knowing more about God and His love for us. It ought to be a place of maturation. If you, got, if you say, well, Brother Andrew, I'm just not, not learning much in my Sunday school class anymore. You ought to find a way to learn something. Read a book. Find a disciple. Do something to grow as a Christian. Never become content. The second you become content, you become complacent. And that's not what God wants. And the church ought to be constantly challenging you to grow. Occasionally a sermon ought to be preached from the pulpit that you leave a little bit angry. Occasionally a sermon ought to come and rub you just a little bit wrong and you say, well, I don't know what he was thinking. That's good. Anytime there's movement, there's friction. And you cannot ever get to the point where you just come and hear lollipops and roses and candy canes and you just leave with a smile on your face. That's not challenging you. That's, that's spiritual gluttony. And you're, you're just going gonna, gonna to get fat feeding on things that have no real meat. You ought to be craving learning how to lead someone to the Lord. You ought to be craving how you can be comfortable when you start to turn to the Romans road and you say, well, I think it's somewhere in the first ten chapters of Romans we start. Hold on, I'll find it. You just wait right there. You ought to be comfortable. And if you're not already, you ought to be getting that way. Growth is, is the Christian life. Even look at Peter's life as a small example of growth when Christ is in your life. Boy, when when Christ first met Peter, he's a pretty rough character, wasn't he? Messed up all the time, stuck his foot in his mouth. He got up there on the Mount of Transfiguration, probably one of the coolest experiences in all the Bible, just a select few people there. And Peter just kind of looks at the situation and says, you know what? I think it's good for us to be here. We ought to build three, three, three temples here. We ought, to, we ought to honor you, Lord, and we ought to honor Moses, and we ought to honor Elias. And essentially, the Lord had to tell him, Peter, what are you thinking? Jesus is the one being glorified here. Well, Peter wasn't always the man that preached in Acts chapter 2. In fact, I was reading last night in the book of Galatians when Paul had to confront Peter and correct him for his choice in, in separating from the Gentiles when the Jews came around. Look, nobody's perfect, but you ought to be trying to perfect yourself. 
Bible tells us that's what God gave us ministers and apostles was for the perfecting of the saints. That's what the Bible says. So we must continue with a philosophy of ministry and maturation. Thirdly, we must continue in protection. Now this is where I really want to teach you why our church will never become a transitional church and why our church will never stay a traditional church. And when I say that, I feel eyeballs glaring at me like, you mean to tell me next week we're going to come and a drum set's going to be on the platform? If Brother Sean does that, he's fired right now. I just told you. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is don't box yourself in so much that you can't do something and improve your ministry. It is folly to think that by putting words on a wall, we've we've thrown a, a, we've gone a, a charismatic. It is folly to think that by putting a Bible verse on a wall, because someone might not have a Bible in their lap, that we've just compromised. Never get so blinded to tradition that you can't see improvement. And never become so ready to transition that you just forfeit anything that was working before. And we must be constantly worrying about protecting our ministry and our church. The Bible warns us about three things to be aware of. First of all, it tells us to beware of wolves in the church. Beware of false teachers, people that might bring a a message of hope and, and then just... Taint it a little bit with false doctrine. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Notice this, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Did you know there may someday come a hypocrite and a heretic into our uh, 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 congregation trying to teach you a gospel that is not true? I went to school with some brilliant men, uh, just guys who you'd look at and you say, this guy is going to light the world on fire. I mean, he's a preacher, he's a theologian. He already knows his Bible like crazy. And I'll never forget, I met an upperclassman that I went to school with. Uh, and he had graduated a few years before me. I, met, I saw him at Cabela's one day. And I said, Carl, what are you doing? He said, hey, freshman. <laughs> he didn't remember me, but I said, I went to West Coast. I was there when you went. And he said, yeah. And we got to talking a little bit. And he began to share with me that he had started going to a new church. And a a new pastor had come in, and the pastor started teaching them this new thing that he had never seen before. And it was that if you were not faithful here on the earth to God, for a thousand years you'd spend eternity in hell, or for a thousand years you'd spend in hell, and then you'd go to heaven. And old Carl started proselyting me. And I said, Carl, no offense to you or whatever you believe. But that's hogwash. Did you, did you see the Sharpie that the person wrote that in your Bible with? Because it ain't in mine. 
Well, there may someday come somebody into our congregation that begins to teach a false doctrine. And I'm asking your assistance in this matter. If you ever catch wind of something that doesn't align with what's being preached from this pulpit, you'd be the first one to throw up a red flag and come to me or come to preacher and you say, I just want to let you know what's going on, brother, Pre- brother preacher man. We'll just go with that. I just want to let you know what's going on. I was sitting in Sunday school class and somebody started saying something and it wasn't quite jiving. And I I just don't know. You help me understand what he was trying to mean. Uh, Not long ago, we had somebody come up and and, and say something like this. And and, and they said, "I, I just, maybe he meant well, but I think he may have misstated what he was trying to say. Upon further inspection, the man wasn't a heretic. We didn't have to get rid of Brother Billy Davenport, amen? (laughs) Amen. Congratulations on your high today in your class, Brother Billy. I'm proud of you. Uh, We didn't have to get rid of him. Somebody, uh, maybe Brother Billy didn't put it in the, the proper language for that person to understand what he meant. And they were coming not with the heart of condemning a criticism. They were just simply saying, hey... I want to make you aware, and maybe you can help me understand this matter. Boy, that was a tremendous heart to approach us with. Not trying to get somebody canned, not trying to get somebody fired, if you will, but they were concerned that somebody could be teaching something that might not be right. And as a church, we must rally around one another. Nobody's got your back but the person right beside and behind you. My family believes this. I've got Mandy's back, and Mandy's got my back. You know the reason I can talk about Mandy and make jokes about her putting poultry seasoning on steaks? is because if you said it, I'd punch you in your kisser. I got my family's back. And I hope you've got this church family's back. I hope if something arises that you're not quite sure on... As I've already stated, this book is our final authority for doctrine. And if you have a question, you come to me, you come to preacher. We'll figure it out together and we'll set the record straight. But you've got to be aware of wolves in our church. Secondly, we must be aware of wavering in the church. Wavering in the church. The Bible here says continue. I remember a long time ago... Before we had iPhones, they, they brought these GPS units for your car out. A lot of them were Garmin, and I think TomTom Tom was another one. And you'd put them there in your window, and they'd give you these suction cups. And, boy, that was just a modern-day miracle that you could watch your vehicle driving down the road and follow you, and then it would go splits, and it'd tell you where to go. And, boy, I'll never forget the first time we made a wrong turn with that thing. You know what that thing kept telling us? It was screaming at us, recalculating. And at first it was calm. Recalculating. Make a U-turn at the next possible chance, you know. Recalculating on that next one. Recalculating on the next one. Get back on track, Jack. That's what it said. Recalculating. That's what they would say. And, and, and I remember the, I was getting annoyed by it. And I, I went into the settings... And I changed it to it like a a British lady. I mean, if a British lady gets mad at you, you don't get so angry so fast. Recalculating, you know, with her accent there. And 
And the first time, you should have seen Dad's face the first time that thing came on. And, and uh, <laughs> the first time it spoke in that English accent, he looked at me and like, did you do this? Did, did you bring this curse upon me? <laughs> and uh, it was just a little funny. But we always got to be making sure that we are on track as a church. And we're not tossed to and fro by every new ounce of technology. Look, I look at churches, and and I have to kind of do this. I don't stand in judgment of anybody. But I look at photos from other churches, and I see just like amazing theatrical lighting for just a normal Sunday service. And I'm kind of like, that's a little strange. I mean, it doesn't look very churchy. I don't think Acts chapter 2 had theatrical lighting, but maybe they did. Maybe that's why the Holy Ghost came. I don't know. Uh, but I just look, and, and we've got to make sure that we're not just doing things because Hollywood's doing it. And we're not just doing things because Dr. Phil's set looks that way. But we're doing things from a practical ministry standpoint. And the day that a purple light gets somebody saved, boy, there will be purple lights all over this thing. But I'm just concerned that, that we have to be aware of wavering in our church. This is the final thought that you always ought to have when it comes to what goes on in this church. Unto him be glory in the church forever, uh, by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. That ought to be our final bar. That ought to be what we check everything by. If I sing this song, if I preach this sermon, if I pray this prayer, if I do this deed, if I knock this door, will it glorify Jesus Christ in my church? That ought to be your final thought on everything you do. But I want you to understand this principle. When it comes to this idea of traditional and transitional, Hebrews tells us that you are to submit to the authority of your pastor. The Bible says in verse number 17 of chapter 13, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. As a pastor, the reason I'm hesitant to preach this sermon is because I don't want to mislead you in this matter of traditional versus transitional. I don't want to make you think that I'm just ready to sacrifice everything we've worked for in the past so that somebody might come and see a purple light and a drum set. That's not what I'm saying. But we must ask this question, what would Jesus do in our church? And will this glorify Christ in our ministry? And if the answer to that question is yes, then I think we ought to do it. If the answer to that question is ever no, it will glorify someone or something else, the answer is how fast can we throw it in the dumpster? Look, the truth of the matter is when it comes to some music, some of it glorifies the singer much more than it does the Savior. And I'm not speaking of modern-day groups. I'm speaking of southern gospel groups. I'm, think, I'm saying that there is a reason why we no longer have certain singers on this platform and we have others. It's not because we can't afford the other ones. It's because we felt that they were headed in a direction that was glorifying to their quartet and to them more so than it was Jesus Christ. And as pastor, you know who handled that and, and made that mistake and owned up to it? Our pastor. And he said, I'm going to fix it from here on out. And there will never be another time some of those groups will sing on our stage. But you also have to understand, if I'm willing to look at my genre of music and say, there's some of it that's straight hypocritical, I wish you would do the same with yours. 
Because when it comes to some contemporary music, there is some music out there that can glorify the Savior. But there is also a large portion of it that is far more glorifying to the singer and to the instrumentalist and to the people that are playing than it is Jesus Christ. I've recognized it in Southern Gospel, and I ask you to do the same in the genre that you prefer, whether it's bluegrass, whether it's redneck, whether it's countrified, dignified, I don't care what it is. Think about this. Does it glorify Jesus? Does it glorify Him? And when it comes to how this church will progress in worship in the future, understand it will progress the way I and Pastor Philip ought to progress. And if that means doing the same old, same old, because the same old, same old works and it helps us create an environment for worship, that's what's going to keep happening. And if there's a new song that comes out named My Name is Lazarus or My Name was whatever, if there's a new song that we feel can prepare your heart for preaching, if there's some new choir special or new choir drama that we think can do something, we will be the first ones to implement it. But always understand this that your pastor has to answer for every choice he makes before the throne of God. And you may sit in your pew, and it's so easy to be an armchair quarterback, and say, well, if I was pastor, I would do this. Well, you kind of solved a lot of problems. You're not pastor. And you don't deal with the same consequences to the choice you make that will never happen as we do. And so if you're concerned that our music program or our, 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 the way we outreach could be better, that's fine. But we're the ones that have to answer for it. This church will progress not as a traditional church and not as a transitional church. It will be as a church that glorifies Christ in everything that we say and do. Whether it's in a men's prayer meeting or a men's prayer breakfast or a ladies' retreat or whether it's in our worship service, It will glorify Jesus, and that's our final thought. We must beware of wavering in the church. And then finally, we must beware of wickedness in the church. Truth of the matter is, the church needs a bath. Let me say that again so y'all can hear. I guess the, the, the devices broke on that. The church needs a bath. When social media says more about you than what you look like in here on Sunday, you need a bath. When I look at teenagers' profiles that you can look at just as easily, parents, and I see things that make me cry, our church needs a bath. We cannot allow sin into our church under the disguise that we're just helping people get better. We cannot allow people to be wicked before God and come to church like everything is fine. God hates sin more than you can even imagine. It is a direct rebellion against everything that God stands for and everything that God is. When God loves, it is us withdrawing away from his loving hand and kindness when we sin. And unfortunately, too many Christians find themselves lingering there. And like the prodigal son wallowing in the hog pit of this filthy world under the charade that as long as I go to church, it will all fix itself. 
as pastor and as members of this church, you ought to be aware that sin cannot be present in this church and expect God's blessing to do anything. You can't expect for the preacher to get up here and preach a powerful message on the gospel with sinners sitting in the congregation and you regarding iniquity in your heart and hoping that someone gets saved. And we need a bath. We need to fix ourselves, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27, that he might present it to himself a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That's the church that Jesus is looking for. One that's holy and without blemish. I remember the day we got married, my wife and I... uh, we, we saw each other uh, early that morning, I believe. We kind of took a break because I had an errand I had to run. And by that, I mean go hang out with my bros that were in my groomsmen, grooms, I guess is what they're called. Just hanging out, man. This is my last time to get married. So, well, I think, anyway. But uh, this is the only time I'm ever going to get married. I might as well joy when I got all my, my buddies in town. So we were hanging out. We are taking big old long road trips. And Amy was not getting that same honor and joy of getting to hang out with her girlfriends. You know what she was doing? Getting prettified. She hired her... Did you have Tamara do your hair in that one? Or, yeah. So her, uh, one of her grooms gals, we'll just call them that, because I don't... Yeah, that'll work too. Bridesmaids, grooms gals. I like mine better, but we can go with yours. One of her uh, bridesmaids was uh, is a hairstylist, so... Tamara was doing her hair, had it all pretty and combed over and, and just, I mean, all up in a ball, you know, and be beautiful. And, I mean, hard for me to explain. She looked gorgeous on that day. And uh, they came in there, they got her nails done, you know, they got her toes done. Like you can see toes under that huge, gigantic train that bride, uh, 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 bride's dresses carry. But... She got all that stuff done. She's getting prettified, you know? And then she starts getting on her wedding dress, and boy, this thing's glittery. It's just studded up, beautiful. I mean, she didn't need lights to sparkle that day, but the lights helped because every time it hit a bling, I'm just kind of, uh, the picture of me is just, you know, everybody wants to look at the groom when the bride walks in to see his reaction, see that moment of puppy dog love. And I'm like, can I get my sunglasses? Uh, and, uh, I mean, she walked down that aisle, and uh, we, we actually saw each other beforehand so we could take pictures. But, man, when she walked down that aisle, she was gorgeous. And I don't know what I really look like. I probably look like this. <laughs> That's pretty, that one's mine, boys. I've got a ring on her face. I don't know what I was saying, but it was, it was like, everybody just look away. She's taken, you know, and... Uh, she was beautiful walking down that aisle. Her daddy's there with her. and I'm just trying to remember what I do next, you know. And uh, she gets down to the altar. And she looks just amazing. I look at wedding pictures now. I think, man, what a beautiful wife I have. And so I saw that there. and I'm glad she got prettified. I'm glad she didn't walk down the aisle in a wife beater and pajama pants. Amen? I mean, that seems to be Walmart dress code these days, so I'm just, I'm glad that she didn't do that. 
And man, I tell you, she looked good that day. She, she tried to look pretty and she accomplished it. Took some time, though. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean... Well, she'll be a wife. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Appreciate you, church. It's not what I meant. What I meant was she got up to that church a long time beforehand and the stylist styled her hair for hours and, and they got her in that dress and, they, man, she just looked beautiful. And, 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 you know, that's the picture of the church, though. That's, that's what the Bible says, a bride preparing herself to meet the groom, waiting for a grand entrance and a spectacle of when the one who died to redeem the church will stand waiting for the bride to enter, spotless, without blemish or wrinkle. Church, we need a bath. We need to get to the bride that Christ deserves. The bride that he died for. Look, at the end of the day, transitional, traditional, we're never going to go to the time where we have a split service because this group of people can't worship God this way or that way. It's never going to happen to this church. I pray that one day we get to the day where we have to have a split service just because the building can't hold this, the amount of people in one service. But all of this, this stuff that Satan has got churches focused on, man, that stuff's just stuff. If you preach from this Bible, King James Version of the Bible, You have a passion for souls. And not just a passion to sit in your pew, but a passion to go out and extend a hand and tell them what what their eventual outcome will be apart from Jesus. You worship the Lord not to glorify men, but to glorify the one who came and died for us. To, To honor Him each and every service, to raise Him up as... As the one who died for us, that's a church Jesus will join. Traditional? No. Transitional? I don't know. But one who glorifies Christ in everything they do. And every time anything is ever brought up, the first question is asked is, will this glorify Jesus? And the answer is yes, that's the church he'll join. I, I don't want to be wrong on this matter of church. I can be wrong in a lot of areas, whether or not, you know, Michael Jordan was the greatest to ever play, whether or not the Cowboys will ever, ever be good ever, ever again. I I can be wrong on all those, but I can't be wrong on this. I believe that Jesus deserves a church who will glorify him in music, in preaching, in teaching, in prayer, in discipleship, in evangelism, in outreach, in every aspect of the ministry, that's what Jesus deserves. And every once in a while, not just need to look at your pastor and say, okay, I understand there's some warning signs with that. 
understand that this might begin to trend in a direction we don't want to head. You, you want to know the reason we don't broadcast our words on the wall when we sing? Is because that was one of the first steps the modern church began to take. And our pastor is so convicted that we will never take a step in that direction. And I agree with him. He's so convicted that we will never take a step in that direction that that's the step he's decided. We won't cross this line because that's the line he's marked in the sand. And you can sit and be critical of our decisions, and that's fine. That's your right. But I just believe that if you genuinely ask the question, will this glorify Christ, you have to look at our church and say, every week we try our very best to do that. And our singing and our preaching, and our Sunday school program, and our children's program. My daughter comes home with little notes that talk about Jesus. And I tell you, I just think that this idea of whether traditionalists are right or transitionalists are right is one of folly argument. You sit there and argue till you're red in the face and not accomplish anything, but a church ought to glorify Christ.